Hey, welcome to the podcast for Scotts Hill Baptist Church. We hope this message helps you discern what is true, what is right, and what is good. Also, we pray that it acts as an encouragement to you today. Well, this was the first Sunday of 2021, and no doubt many of you have set for yourself some New Year's resolutions. This Sunday, our senior pastor, Phil Ortigo, has given us four godly goals for a new year. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning and welcome to Scotts Hill Baptist Church. For those of you who are in the Cross Point Center, we're so glad you're able to join us in that mask-only service. Those of you who are joining us online, we're so grateful that you're joining us in this new year as we celebrate together. And all of you who are here in person with us, we're so glad to be able to gather together. 2020 is gone. It is history, and now we're beginning a brand new year that we have the opportunity to serve the Lord with. And 2020 has been a challenging year for almost everybody in this room, but it's not been a year that has been wasted because God never wastes a moment. In his providence, he uses all things in difficult times and struggles, and he puts us sometimes in the crucible, so he burns away the dross and the impurities of our lives so that we can more reflect the very character of his son. And so as we're entering into this new year, 2021, I was looking at some of my notes from last year as we entered into 2020. And the opening line that I wrote, I said, 2020 sounds like such a cool year, doesn't it? And it just shows how little we know and how much God knows. But as we enter into 2021, people still enter the same way. There are many people who are going to enter with what we call great resolutions. People are going to have some great resolutions. They're going to make these resolutions that they want to live this new year by. The typical resolutions every year do not change. Number one is to lose weight. Number two is to get in shape. Number three is to give up bad habits. Number four is to reestablish the strained relationships. And number five are financial goals. Every year, almost without fail, those are the top five resolutions. But interestingly, having come out of 2020, those are not the traditional resolutions this year. Americans have made different resolutions this year. And here are the top three resolutions that people are making this year. Number one, to continue to stay connected with my family. Boy, 2020 has really put us together as families. And it's really tested us. And many people learned the advantage of having good family relationships. And so they're saying we want to continue in that this year. Goal number two this year is to travel more. (laughs) Everybody wants to do that. And some of us have not stopped traveling like myself, but people are looking to travel more, to get out and to enjoy our own country and the things around it. And number three is, interestingly, is to enjoy every moment of life. Because we don't know what life is going to bring. So I find it interesting that people have these new, different resolutions that are contrary to the traditional resolutions. But no matter where you are, many people are choosing great resolutions. But here's the second way people are entering into a new year, with great reservation. We did that last year. We never know what a year brings. It may be tsunamis, terror attacks. It may be great faith. It may be great fear. It may be great victories. It may be great pain. It may be great suffering. It may be persecution like we've never seen before. But all of us can enter into a new year with a a sense of hope 
but also some reservations because we do not know the end from the beginning like our Heavenly Father does. So we go in maybe with some reservations. It reminds me of the story of a group of folks who were on an old ship. And they were out at sea and there was a storm. And the ship was just tossing up and down. And some of the passengers went to the captain and they said, Captain, are we safe? And the captain says, well, let me put it this way. Our boilers are old and they can explode at any moment. The ship's structure lost integrity, so it's taking on water so we can sink at any moment. In other words, we may go up with an explosion or down through sinking, but either way, we're moving on. And the truth is, we're going to encounter all kinds of difficulties in the course of this upcoming year. But the reality is, we press on toward the goal of the high calling in Christ Jesus. And then there's a third way we need to enter with a great reminder. And the great reminder is this. The God of 2020 is the same God of 2021. The God of 2,000 years ago is the same God as today. The God who spoke the universe into being in eternity past is the same God into eternity future. He will never change. And so with we understand that, we can be reminded that God always works. In 2020, God did some wonderful things. Do you realize in 2020, many people came to faith in Jesus Christ, and they have been forever changed and now sons and daughters of the king? Do you know that in 2020, many people have been set free from addictions by the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God? Do you know that in 2020, some people have met that person of their dreams, and this year they're planning a wedding together, and that children have been born, and great, great victories had been won. And we need to be reminded that no matter what year we go into, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and what? Forever. He's always the same. So as we go into 2021, I want to take the word of God that has not changed. A word that has been written 2,000 years ago to a group of believers who just came through a very difficult time. I want to bring to you an encouragement of what the writer writes to these Christians. Many of them lost their jobs. Many of them lost all of their possessions. Many of them are castaways. Many of them have lost loved ones to death because of their faith in Christ. Many of them are being persecuted while the writer is writing these words. And yet he gives them some incredible hope. And he lays out four goals for them as they continue to pursue their walk with one another and their faith in the Lord Jesus. I'm talking about the writer of Hebrews. And in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6, we're only going to look at those two verses this morning. He is writing some final thoughts to the people. We don't really know who the writer of Hebrews is. Some say it was the Apostle Paul. Some say it may have been Apollos, a very eloquent speaker of the day. Whoever it was, he understood fully the sacrificial system of Judaism. He understood the reality that Christ is the new mediator and the high priest. And he's encouraging them to continue to press on, even in the midst of this. And when you come to chapter 13, it's just filled with one-liners of things to encourage people with. But today we're going to start in verse 5. And we're going to read verse 6. 
And in these two verses, this writer gives four specific goals for a new year. So here's what I want to do. I just want to give you this morning four godly goals for a new year. Sometimes we make too many goals that we can't accomplish. But these are very relevant goals. They are as relevant for you and me today as they were 2,000 years ago when the Holy Spirit inspired this writer to pen the words. <clears throat> Here's what he says. Beginning in verse 5. <clears throat> Let your character be free from the love of money. Being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What shall men do to me? Would you join me as we pray together? <clears throat> Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, that at every moment we can depend on the truth of your word. And Father, we can depend on it because it comes from your very character. And Father, this morning as we're looking at entering into 2021, we have no more insight into this year as we did into last year. But Father, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And there's nothing that you do not know. And so, Father, as we look and unpack these verses this morning, as we look at these four goals, Father, would you stir our own hearts even now? Would you challenge our own hearts even now? And, Father, may you change our hearts today as we are exposed to the principles that you have before us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Four simple goals for 2021. Here's the first one. Learn to practice the contentment of God's provision. Now, we're already beginning with a very difficult goal, aren't we? Learn to practice the contentment of God's provision. He says, do not let your character be one that is pursuing money and things, but be content with the things that you have. Now, contentment is a very difficult thing for you and me. In fact, we just came through one of the most materialistic holidays of our culture, Christmas. And I want you to think about what we teach our children at Christmas time. We always ask them the same question. We ask them, what do you want for Christmas, don't we? And then we go to the mall, and there's a guy in a red Santa suit, and we put the kids on his lap, and what does he say? He says, young man, young woman, what do you want for Christmas? And they tell them, and hopefully they won't get a Santa Claus that if you say a Nerf gun, he'll throw you out of the store. But there's always this thing that we're training our children in discontentment. Because most of our kids have received presents that they have asked for, and at the end of the Christmas season, they're not even playing with them anymore. And we may even be discontent with them. Some of you have received some gifts this year, and you lied when you received it. You opened it up, and you said, just what I always wanted. And you lied to people. Yeah, like you really wanted a Chia pet. Come on. Now, we do that all the time. And we have a tendency within our spirit to be discontent. Now, discontentment always robs us of our joy and our peace. Whenever I'm discontent, I don't enjoy the things that I currently have because I'm always looking for something else that I want that I don't currently have. 
And matter of fact, we see that even the Ten Commandments, the last commandment is thou shalt not covet. Because discontentment usually leads me to coveting what other people have. And I'm only going to be happy if I get that. And so the writer is saying, hey, practice uh, the contentment of God's provision in this year. Now, the question is, what does it mean to be content? Well, I think we have to ask the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, one of the greatest apostles, one of the greatest men in Christendom that we see through the Bible and through the ages, was a man who understood contentment. In fact, in Philippians, he writes this letter from a prison cell to a group of Christians in Philippi. And the, the theme of the letter is joy and contentment. Now, this is coming from a guy in prison. And he's writing this to a group of Christians, telling them how to be content and how to be joyful. This is the kind of guy who wakes up at midnight, chained to a wall in a prison cell, and sings hymns at the top of his lungs so those who are without Christ can come to know the message of the gospel. And in Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 14, he speaks about contentment. Here's what he says. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. He understood contentment. Let me give you four things that contentment is. And, and, and if you're going to live in the contentment of God's provision we need to know what we're talking about. Here's the first thing. Contentment must be learned. It must be learned. Two times in that passage, he says, I have learned to be content. Contentment is not something that you and I are born with. You know that. Just watch the toddlers in our nursery. Watch the ones in your home. We are not born with a natural inclination towards contentment. We are born with an inclination towards discontentment. Because we're never happy. But contentment is something I must learn. It's something I must cultivate every single day of my life. How do I cultivate contentment? By being grateful. By being grateful. Instead of looking at the things you don't have, suppose we thank God for the things we do have. Contentment is cultivated by a grateful spirit. And whenever I'm thankful to God every single day for the provisions that I currently have, then I'm learning the art of contentment. That leads us to the next point. Contentment begins where I am, not where I want to be. This is huge. Most people, when they think of contentment, they're thinking in future terms. And we do this. Let me give you an illustration. Boy, I'll be happy if I can get that new job. I will be so happy if I can have that new car. I will be so happy if I can have that degree. I will be so happy if I can have that promotion. I will be so happy if I can have that relationship. And you see, it's always future tense. The problem is this. If you're not content where you are today, you will not be content where you are tomorrow. That new job will not bring you contentment if you're not content now. That new house will not bring contentment if you're not content now. 
That new relationship will not bring contentment if you're not content in Christ now. That new promotion will not bring contentment if you're not content with your wages now. You see, this is where we miss it. Contentment always begins where I am, not where I want to be. And if we're going to practice the art of contentment from God's provisions, is thankful for what he's already given me. And even if he never gives me another thing, my heart is content in him. See, this is a huge thing that we have to learn in this culture where every single advertisement tells me I'm not happy until I get that product. But God says, I have given you all you need at every moment. Now, does that mean we should never buy a new car? No. Does that mean we should never buy a new phone? No. Does that mean we should never live in a new house? No. Does that mean we should never add on some amenities to our current home? No, not at all. You see, the thing is, if I'm doing those to gain contentment, then it's wrong. But if I'm already content and the Lord blesses me with that, my contentment never changes. So it's nothing wrong with having new things. What's wrong is if these new things have you. And in contentment, I'm perfectly at peace. Here's the third thing about contentment. Contentment always rests in the power of God. In verse 13, we love to quote 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That is a good general principle. It is a scripture that can apply to all areas in life. When Paul penned those words, it was in the context, though, of contentment. It's in the context of contentment. He's talking about contentment. Then he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In the context, he's saying this, I can be content by the power of God who enables me to be so. So you and I, every single day, have to die to our flesh of wanting more. And we have to step out and walk in the Spirit of God and allow Him to build a contentment for Him and for Him only. I want you to hear this. The things of the world will never fit into the triangle-shaped vacuum of your heart. You see, the things of the world can't fit into the triangle-shaped vacuum. What is a triangle-shaped vacuum? It is a vacuum that can only be filled by God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when you pursue the things of the world, there's emptiness. But I love what one man said. When you pursue the things of God, he throws the things of the world in with it. Because we pursue him first. Here's the fourth thing about contentment. It leads to a generous spirit. You know, people who are content are very generous. The Apostle Paul says at the end of this, and thank you for your kindness shown to me. The people that he was writing to were very contented people. And it's one thing that we know that when people walk in contentment, they are generous. Some of the most generous people I know are people who are content in the blessings of God. And they're so content in it that they don't even need them and they give them away. Rather than trying to sell everything so they can make more money to buy more stuff, they give stuff away. And God blesses them with more stuff so they can bless more people at every turn. When you and I walk in contentment, we become very generous people. 
And what God is saying to us this year is that we are to be content in the provisions that he is giving to us. I am to learn to practice the contentment of God's provisions in my life. And every single day when I wake up, I give thanks to the Father for what I have. It's only by his grace and his power that I have them. And it's in his strength that I can walk in this attitude of contentment and I can give away things that will bless the heart of other people. Now, let me tell you what we should never be content in. We should never be content with sin, either in our life or in our culture. We are never to be content with sin. Secondly, we are never to be content with our own spiritual progress. We should always be seeking to be more like Christ. Every year, I pick a word for my year. Two years ago, it was intentional. Last year is the word trust. (laughs) Good word for last year. This year, as I've been praying, I have been discontent with where I am spiritually. When I hit 60, I thought, okay, I thought I would be further along spiritually than I am now. And I, and I, I feel like I was discontent in that, and I still am. So this year, I picked a really difficult word. For me, I'm pursuing holiness this year. Above all things, holiness. Because I, I remember what Alexander McLaren said to his people. He said, my personal holiness is your greatest asset. And that's true of every pastor. And so for me, I'm discontent spiritually, and I want to be more like Christ. So you see, I can be discontent in sin in my life and in the culture. I can be discontent in my spiritual progress. Another thing is I can be discontent in specific goals, and I should pursue the things that honor Christ. So here's what I want to challenge you in. As you go into this new year, practice the presence of the contentment of God's provisions. Be grateful for everything you have and how he has blessed you. Here's the second point. Learn to practice the companionship of God's presence. It's one thing to practice the contentment of his provision, but I must learn to practice the companionship of his presence with me. And the writer in Hebrews says something that has been one of the most encouraging verses in all of Scripture. He says, For God himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. In the Greek language, there are five negatives included in that one statement. It originally says this, I will not ever, no, never, no, never leave you nor forsake you. Five negatives. And you know that that phrase is used five times in the Old Testament in five different scriptures. In Genesis 28, 15, we find it. We find also in Deuteronomy 31, verses 6 and 8. We find the same phrase in Joshua 1, 5. We find the same phrase in 1 Chronicles 28, 20. And the Lord Jesus even said it when he ascended before his disciples. He says, I will be with you. How long? Always to the end of the age. And one of the things that we can rest in is this. That we can go into a new year and practice the companionship of God's presence. 
He promises he will never leave us. No matter what difficulties we encounter, whether it's a pandemic, he will never leave us. Whether it's a loss of a job, he will never leave us. Whether it's a marriage that is struggling and you're wondering if it will survive 2021, he says he will never leave us. Whether it's a diagnosis that you receive from the doctor that brings fear instead of faith, he says he will never leave us. Several years ago, I had the opportunity to meet with a family who had a loved one who was dying. She had Alzheimer's. She couldn't remember anything. All of us in her room were nothing but strangers to her mind. There were no memories of her children, of her grandchildren, or of her pastors. We were there watching her. And as we were praying over her, we realized she knows no one in this room. But what was amazing to me is the one person she never forgot was Jesus. As she lay there, she was quoting the 23rd Psalm, and she kept calling the name of Jesus, even though every other memory was gone. And it was in the quietness of that time that she peacefully passed away into the arms of the one who would never leave her. You see, God promises he will never leave us. So this companionship of his presence is not just a one-way street. It goes both ways. Not only does the Father say he will never leave us, but I love what James says in James 4.8. He says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Here is a two-way street here. It is a relationship that God promises he will never leave, but it is also a relationship that you and I must cultivate with the Father every day. I know a lot of people by name, but I'm not in a close companionship with all of those people. I'm only in a companionship with the ones that I spend time with, the ones that our hearts knit together with, the ones that we speak about and we challenge and we talk with one another. Those are true companionships. And if we're going to have this kind of companionship with the Father, let me tell you, it means every single day I begin in His presence. I don't know what you do for Bible reading, but I, for the last four years, have been using the YouVersion Bible app. And every year I get on a different reading plan. And this year, I'm on a chronological reading plan. This will be my fourth year in a row that I will be reading completely through the Scriptures. And I tell you, it's always a challenging thing, but it's always a refreshing thing because every year I forget that I remembered that, you know. Oh, I forgot that I used to know that. But then it's always the freshness of being in the presence of the Father. And if we're going to practice the companionship of his presence, it's not just one-sided that, God, you remember me. But no, it's, Father, speak to me today. I want to be with you today. And you know what I find out when I do those? Is that the whole day is encompassed around the truth of who he is. And I'm able to walk in the very presence of God. David Livingston was a great medical missionary to Africa. He was also a great explorer. He was a man of great courage. He lived in the 1800s, the mid-1800s. And, and, and he had such courage that he was not fearful of going any place. 
But on January the 12th, 1856, he writes in his diary of fear. All of a sudden, he becomes afraid. And he writes these words in his diary. Felt much turmoil of spirit in prospect of having all my plans for the welfare of this great region and this teeming population knocked on the head by savages tomorrow. But I read that Jesus said, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. This is the word of a gentleman of the most strict and sacred honor. Jesus has said, I'll never leave you. I will not cross fearfully as I had intended. Why should such a man as I flee? I shall take observations for latitude and longitude tonight, though it may be the last. I feel quite calm now. Thank God. He goes to sleep, wakes up the next morning, and he journeys to the village. But there's more of the story. When he gets to the village, a group of men meet him as he's entering the village. And the men said, where are the other men who were with you? And David Livingston said, there were no other men. I'm traveling alone. No, 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 no. There were eight men surrounding you while you slept. He said, you're mistaken. I travel alone. He says, no, we're not mistaken. We followed you into the jungle because our goal was to kill you and to steal your supplies and your medical supplies and sell them. But when we saw those men standing around you as we slept, you slept, we were fearful and we ran away. God's promises of never leaving him were sure. But you see, there's that relationship with the Father that we must cultivate in our life. Here's what I want to challenge you in this year. Practice the companionship of his presence. If you don't have a quiet place to get in the mornings and to read... If you don't have a place where you can pray and be alone with the Father, if you don't have a time of getting to know Him, then you're going to miss out on all the wonderful relational opportunities you have this year. You see, it's one thing to practice contentment, but when I practice His presence in my life, it transforms everything I do every day. Learn to practice the companionship of his presence. Number three, learn to practice the confidence of God's promises. Now, I love this one. Learn to practice the confidence of the promises of God. In that passage, the writer says, God himself has said. A promise is only as good as the character or the person who makes the promise. If it is a person who cannot be trusted, you would never trust a promise. If it is a person who is a liar, you would put no stock in the promise. But this is God Almighty. He himself has said, and he will do it. God's promises are always based on his character and his ability. He is omnipotent. There's nothing he cannot carry out. He is omniscient. There's nothing about you that he doesn't know, including your needs. He is omnipresent. There is nowhere he is not. He is everywhere. When you and I make promises, we often break our promises. 
Sometimes we make promises because we really didn't mean them. We wanted to sound kind. Yeah, 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 I'll do that. And we have no intention of doing it. Sometimes we make promises that are outside of our control. You promise to take your kids to the beach on Saturday. It rains and storms. You can't go. That was something just out of your control. Sometimes we make promises that we can never deliver on because they're impossible. But every single promise that Almighty God makes is based upon His character where He never lies. It's based upon His ability where He never has any limits. And so when I go into a new year, my confidence can be in the absolute certainty of His promises. What are some promises? Let me just throw some out. When you feel lonely, I will never desert you nor forsake you. When you feel unworthy, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. When you feel inadequate, for I can do all things through him who strengthens me. When you feel like a failure, for I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. When you feel like you've blown it, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When you need wisdom, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. These or some basic promises. I can't go through all of them. There are 1,500 promises in God's Word. 1,500. And if you and I are not involved in the Word of God, we will never learn what the promises of God are. And not every single promise is for every person. Sometimes God gives promises for nations that don't apply to us, or maybe circumstances that don't apply to us. But the general promises of God's Word are for His children. Many years ago, I did a funeral of a lady, and, and what I do often in funerals, I'll ask the spouse or the family if the person had a Bible, and they'll say, oh yeah, can I look at their Bible? And I love to thumb through the Bible of people who have passed away, of saints who have passed away. Why? Because I love to see what they checked and what they underlined and what they circled, what scriptures were challenging to them. And this one lady's Bible, as I just turned through it, she kept, in the margin, there was the two letters written in red, T and T. I'd look at it, I'd thumb through, T and T, T and T. And I was just thumbing through her Bible. It was a thick Bible. It was old, it was well-worn, which is always a sign of a soul that isn't. And so she is just T and T, T and T, and I'm going through it, and I ask her husband, what does this mean? He said, oh, it's simple. Every time she read the Word of God, she trusted the Word of God. When it was a reality in her life, she would write TNT, tried and true. Tried and true. And her confidence was in the promises of God. You see, here's the reality. We don't know what's going to come our way this year. But we know who's in control of all things. And we know that when we put our confidence in the promises of the Word of God, that doesn't mean we won't lose a job. That doesn't mean we won't face persecution. That doesn't mean we won't have difficulties and trials. What it does mean is in the midst of all of those, 
His promises can be trusted. So we are to practice the contentment of God's provision, the companionship of God's presence. We are to practice the confident in God's promises. But here's the last one. Learn to practice the comfort of God's protection. The comfort of his protection. I love this one. Because what he says in here, if God is for you, what can man do to you? We don't need to be afraid. We don't need to be afraid about anything. And here's something that struck me so oddly this year. This pandemic has created a fear in Christians like I have never seen in my life. Never. I have never seen Christians so afraid to die. I've never seen Christians so afraid to live. Now, I'm not going to get into all the political junk of it and whether you should wear a mask or you shouldn't wear a mask. I'm not going to get into all the different aspects of the opinions that come from the vaccine and all of those things. The reality is this. We should walk in prudence. We should walk with wisdom. We should walk with a great concern for our neighbor and our companions. But I've never seen so many people afraid to die. Matter of fact, my motto through this whole thing is to live as Christ and to die as gain. Now, I had COVID. My wife has had COVID. My niece who lives with us has had COVID. Almost all of our staff has had COVID. We have walked through all of those things. That's real. And it's contagious. And it certainly is deadly. But in the midst of all of those things, I'm not going to let the fear of something that God has power over to control how I live and how I serve and how I love. To live is Christ. To die is gain. And when you look at Romans chapter 8, and Paul reminding us over and over and over that we can practice the comfort of God's protection. Here's what Paul says in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Then he goes on. Verse 33. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? The answer? No one. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? The answer, no one. And the picture is this, that I can live, I can have my being in Christ. I walk with wisdom. I walk with prudence. I want to walk carefully in this world. The scripture says that we as much as possible are to be at peace with all men. But we don't need to be fearful. Now, I'm not saying no one should wear masks. Not at all. There are many people who have elderly folks at home that they're wanting to protect. People with underlining issues. People who have a conscience that they want to wear one to help other people. That's all fine. But even those who wear masks are not to be afraid because God is in charge. John Knox, who is a Scottish reformer, was well known for his prayers. In fact, Mary, Queen of Scots, once said this. She said, I fear no armies, 
only the prayers of John Knox. And John Knox, this great Scottish reformer, wrote these words, a man with God is always in the majority. A man with God is always in the majority. Some of us are entering this year with fears. The election didn't go the way that you may have wanted it to go. And maybe you have fears. The outcome of the election is dubious and filled with fraud. And you have fears. The job market may be dropping. You have fears. The financial markets may crash. You have fears. This vaccine may not work. You have fears. But if God is for you, Who can be against you? Walk in the confidence, in the absolute comfort of his protection in your life as you serve him. So as we go through this new year, four things. The contentment of his provisions. Let me ask you this question. Believers, are you content? Is Jesus enough for you? The provisions that he has for you right now, are you settled and grateful for what he has? Walk in that contentment. The companionship of his presence. Are you practicing the presence of God where you are? Walking in him and in the spirit who lives within you, keeping in step with all that he has. The confidence of his promises that they're given by one who will never lie and has all authority to accomplish them and the comfort of his protection. You see, as we go through 2021, we know as much as we know right now, which is nothing. But as we go through 2021 in Christ, we know how much we know right now. And it's all we need. If you're a believer here this morning, let me challenge you to apply these four goals this year and see if God doesn't change your life. If you're not a believer here this morning, maybe you're watching me online, my friend, these are not behavior modifications that you do externally. These only come through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you don't have a walk with Jesus, you will never experience these things in the fullness that God intends them to be. Your greatest need is a Savior. Your greatest opportunity is before you because God has given him to you as a gift. And today, you can surrender to him and you will know all the things that I'm speaking of, but it begins with Christ. Here's what I want us to do. I want to pray for us for 2021. As we move into this new year, that these goals would be the goals that would change us uh, forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for where we've been and what you've taught us. Father, we're grateful for where you have us going, even though we cannot see it. But, Father, we know your character and our confidence is in you.
We know the redeeming work of Jesus Christ on the cross, that he died for our sins, that he was buried and he rose on the third day, and he is alive, seated next to you today. And that only in him can we have forgiveness and a relationship with you. We thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, and he will convict us and guide us through this year to be like Jesus. Father, I pray for each person in this room, those who are believers, that, Father, you would cultivate these things in their hearts and their lives. That this year, Father, would be a year that they would look back and say, wow, God has done a great work. Father, for those who may not be believers today, I ask that your spirit would begin to work in their hearts and their minds And that they would come to know the truth that we're speaking of. And Father, they would come to know the forgiveness and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that they would be changed. Father, I pray for the administration and governments and in the White House for the year to come. We hold them before you and we ask, Father, that you would accomplish your good purpose and your plan. Your word says that you turn the hearts of kings like water. I pray, Father, that you would turn the hearts of our leaders to a direction that honors you and benefits men. Father, we thank you that we've gone through a difficult year because it's measured what's even in our own hearts. But, Father, as we go into this new year, every day is a day that you have made. May we rejoice and be glad in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we hope that this message challenged you and that you apply these godly goals for this new year of 2021. If you're new to this podcast and want to learn more about Jesus or our church, go to scottshill.org slash next steps for more information. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe to get notifications of future episodes. You can also share it with your friends via text message or take a screenshot and post it onto your social media stories. Whatever you want to do, just make sure to tag us at Scott's Hill. Until next time, 